This is Learn It From An 80s Song. I am your coach, Patricia Freiberg. This is I Love the 80s meets the healing of storytelling and the positive impact of music. Inspiring guests share their powerful stories, yielding incredible strengths. Through both story and music, this podcast will elevate your mood, providing you with a positive outlook. It will ignite recall so that you can tap into your own life experiences. We don't just hear the knowledge and wisdom gained from our podcast guests. Through powerful story, we can live it. Today, we have a very special and inspiring guest. Please welcome Deirdre Donahue. Deirdre is the Vice President and the Director of Equity and Inclusion with Leo Burnett Group Agencies. She is the Equity Inclusion Lead for the Publicist Group of Creative Agencies in the U.S., She is responsible for creating a culture where people have a sense of belonging and can access equitable opportunities. Deirdre helps employees feel empowered and that being supported is the norm. She is a certified coactive coach who provides personal and professional development coaching, both in the agencies and as a private coach. Welcome, Deirdre. It's so great to have you here today. And I feel like no time has passed, even though it's been quite a few years. How Deirdre and I know each other actually was um, I was the Pilates manager over at uh, East Bank Club in Chicago. And I was so fortunate enough to get to train Deirdre for many years while I was there. And she had a toddler at the time. Um, Her name was Perry, and she was the most precious girl I'd ever seen. And she was so curious about the Pilates studio, I remember. And now I couldn't believe it when you told me that Perry is a freshman at Seton and that you just sent her off to college this week. I did. I did. Patricia, it's so nice to be here with you today. I'm I'm really excited about this conversation that we're going to have. And I met you when I was a lady who lunched. And so Pilates during the middle of the day was one of the luxuries that I had while I was caring for this toddler. But yeah, now she's a freshman at Seton Hall. She's studying biology and uh, she's um, on the volleyball team. She's on volleyball scholarship. So that's really exciting. Wow. Wow. It's so incredible. And she could not be more beautiful like her mama. Oh, that's that's for sure. That's so sweet. Yes. Great. Yes. And I'm so happy to have you here today. So this is the part of the show where we get to have the big reveal as to, you know, what song we're going to be talking about today. So can I get a drum roll, please? Deirdre, what is the song that best resonates with the story you're going to tell us today? The song that I chose is Fight the Power by Public Enemy. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> the timing was amazing. Cause last week I, when you told me your song, you know, cause we, she and I went back and forth on what, what song to choose. Sometimes it's a challenge to pick a song, but the process is so much fun. And I was 
so thrilled to get to listen to that song and really look at the deeper meaning of the song. And so it came in right at the late 80s. So it was the summer of 1989. And it was written, I believe, for a Spike Lee movie. And I think it was called Do the Right Thing. Right. Do the Right Thing. Mm -hmm. And it was number one top rap single of 1989, uh, voted by The Village Voice. So the Village Voice made it number one. And for the songs of the century, it's number 288. So obviously that says a lot, yes, about the impact of the song. And, you know, it has quotes from Dr. Martin Luther King. It has quotes from the civil rights attorney, Thomas TNT Todd and James Brown. So when you listen to it, you have to listen to it over and over again, because I feel like you, you, you definitely miss something the first time you got to go back and re-listen again. So you can, uh, you know, get more of the information, but what was so interesting in the song, and I'd love to get your feedback on this is it has a part that says, um, and I got this from Wikipedia. Um, it says lyrics, uh, dismiss the liberal notion of racial equality. So the lyric goes like, people, people, we are the same. And then they shout back, no, we are not the same. And I just think that speaks volumes, especially in the time that we are. And I would love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, that's such a great lyric. Um, I I wanted to step back for a second and say, Mm -hmm. I think it's important to point out here that I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area during the free speech, Black Panther, and counterculture movements. So at a really early age, I was able to bear witness to people pushing against the systems of inequity that were in place. And that friction created this push that, uh, you know, this sort of historical push that we see going on even today to create change. Right. And I think one of the underlying issues in the the systems of inequity is that people or theories, sorry, one of the underlying theories is that people Mm -hmm. are the same. Well, on a very sort of simplistic level, we are the same because we're all human beings, but we're not really the same. And you're suggesting the proverbial you suggesting that we are the same negates the differences which is exactly who I am, right? So my culture is different. You know, maybe the way that we interact at home is different. Our foods are different. Um, Just sort of the way that we live. Now, Now, having said that, no culture is a monolith, but all cultures are different. So we aren't the same. And by suggesting that we are, you're taking away all of who I am. Incredible. So well said. So Deirdre, this brings us to the point where we, we'd love to hear your story. Tell us your story. Yeah, this is this was really challenging for me. I, I you know, to 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 be quite honest, because I, I don't know that I have a specific story to tell you um, that relates specifically to the song. I think the song spoke to what was going on in my life in general. I had just graduated from college. Um, I was still very much involved in all of the movements that were happening in the Bay Area. I think it's important to, to note that I went to UC Berkeley. That's where I did my undergraduate degree. So 
that was a place where we were constantly pushing against the system, right? And so, um, and in fact, um, I was there when uh, on the front lines doing the work that led to the change that would eventually become the international movement that ended apartheid in South Africa. So we were just working so hard at Cal when I was there. Um, And then I took that, um, you know, sort of out of my life in the world with me, Mm -hmm. right? It was sort of who I am. Um, And everything that I do, everything that I've done in my life as a grown-up is is a way has been a way professionally. And then also in the capacity of just, you know, volunteerism and stuff, it's, it's all about pushing against these systems of inequity that exist. And, you know, it's challenging, right? We've been doing this for, for centuries since 1619 and it gets tiring. Sometimes you get apathetic, but you got to get back up and keep pushing because if you don't, then change won't happen. Uh, when I left California in my late 20s, I ended up in graduate school in Atlanta and I got a master's degree in um, Black history. And that was a way for me to push against the system because my goal was to go out and start teaching Black history in college to people that uh, I knew didn't have all of the information because, you know, we live in a country where we're not taught uh, Black mm-hmm. history as we come up, right? Mm-hmm. So everything that I've done has been uh, in the vein of of pushing against the system. Yeah, and it's so interesting. I love your story, and I love that you were in that era of Black Panther and and really were there witnessing all of this call to change. I was. How interesting is it that you know you move forward and you you study Black history. You have a baby, you're taking care of the baby. And now, now you are really leading and again, pushing, like you had said, about diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Yeah. So this- Tell us about how you came into that. This really has been my life's work at uh, different levels. And so I work for a major advertising group. And I have recently been put in charge um, of the equity and inclusion efforts for that group, which consists of about uh, maybe six advertising agencies. So I'm the person that's responsible for ensuring that all of the agencies ladder up to what we call pause for action. There are these seven actions that everybody's required. And it's, it's really around leveling the playing field for all of our Black talent. So I'm the person that's responsible for ensuring that all of the agencies sort of fall into line or fall in line uh, in order to get this work done. It's very exciting. That is so exciting. And I can't imagine a better person for the job, given the history and your life's work. Like, truly, you are living in your purpose. And, you know, and here last week or two weeks ago, from when this podcast airs, I'm feeling so optimistic. There are three words to describe how I was feeling with the inauguration. I was feeling unity. Mm. I was feeling hope. And I was feeling progress. 
But that doesn't mean we we stop working. This is not the end game. You know, we have a woman vice president. We have, uh, you know, a black uh, vice president. We also have an Indian president. So have vice president. But this is this is just the beginning. Like we need to continue. It is just the beginning. I mean, this is the kind of thing that that we will and we've seen it in the past and we're going to continue to see in the future that there are starts and stops along the way. You're going to have to assess what's happening at any given point and sort of take a look and see if it's working the way that you uh, want it to or intended it to. Maybe you scrap some things, right, and redo them. But this is an ongoing process. This, this work around being inclusive and being equitable and fair, is there's no end game to this. It's, this mm-hmm. is going to be something that we are constantly working to ensure that it, is, it remains in place the way that it's supposed to and is doing the job that it's supposed to do. Very good. I'd love to hear your, your feedback on, you know, Last year, you know, when the pr- protests were happening, you know, I felt I put the black square on my Instagram, you know, Black Lives Matter. But I thought to myself, this really isn't enough. You know, this this isn't enough. So I really took it upon myself, you know, to reach out to my friends in the black community, you know, who I'm inspired by. And Deirdre, you certainly are that person. And I've had many others on. And I was excited to celebrate their achievement. I was excited to elevate women. And I was also excited to elevate women of color. And I felt that, you know, that was one way that I could try to get the message out and to make a difference and to show my support and and celebrate the diversity. What else, you know, can we do? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the things that you uh, do are important. We need people to be celebrated. We need people to be black and brown um, people and women to be put, uh, you know, out in front so that people recognize that that we're doing great things and that, uh, you know, we're out in the world contributing in big ways. Um, But I think one of the really important things that people need to do is uh, the work of being an anti-racist. Right. And that's that simply means that you are. sort of doing what I do or have always done. And that's like pushing back, right? So it's it's great to celebrate, but, it, but it's also really important to push back on people when they say things or push back on, you know, when you see things that are wrong or when somebody says something out of line to, you know, I recently posted something on LinkedIn that I saw in the New York Times. It was about the difference between calling out and calling in. And I like the idea of calling, you know, I I think automatically I might say you just call somebody out. But I think I like the idea of calling people in better because it's a more kind way of doing it, mm-hmm. right? So, But it's this idea that you're saying to someone in your family or one of your friends, listen, that's not okay. You can't say that or you can't do that. And then help them to understand why, right? So what happens is that people are generally speaking, even when they know it's wrong, people tend to be, I don't know if apathetic is the right word, but maybe uh, reticent about kind of checking people mm-hmm. and saying, hey, you know, leaning over and going, hey, that's not okay. And, and here's why. And th- we need to do more of that, right? And because people need to understand uh, what 
what is okay and what is okay and what isn't and why. And part of what I think is really important about this work, um, I'm a really big believer that we've got to create relationships with each other. And And I don't mean relationships where we're inviting each other over to you know, our homes on Saturday nights for dinner. Well, that might be nice. That's, that's a little idealistic. It's not exactly what I'm talking about. Well, when you're in SoCal, you've got to come over. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm talking about really is this idea that we've got to humanize each other. Right. And, and I think that that's a big part of what's missing here. Um, and, and I think that creating sort of relationships with people is a way to humanize each other. So I'm talking about you engaging with the woman that you see every time you go into Walgreens that checks you out or your colleague that sits, you know, two, two desks down from you, you know, just, just begin to engage with people. And then you start Mm -hmm. to find out that people you know, want many of the same things or they're just humanization is how we're going to start to learn to be uh, more uh, empathetic and more kind and curiosity, I think is important, right? And these are all the things I think are fundamental to creating change. You know, what I've loved over the last year, I, I personally feel like I'm, I'm growing as I've been educating myself and getting curious about, uh, about diversity and inclusion. And I was so terrified to say the wrong thing, you know, even on podcasts, you know, I am like, oh, how am I going to phrase this? Is this going to come out right? And do I have these unconscious bias that I don't even know about? And just worried that about that. And what I love is you're calling, you're, you're how you said, um, calling in. And, and in that case, you know, uh, being curious and asking questions. Yeah. And for me, I, on podcast in particular, I might even ask, how does this sound if I asked a question in this way? Mm-hmm. And just getting that feedback and getting that curiosity of, of how things could be phrased or how I can best say something and start a conversation because I do think, you know, this time is really important. And I love how you're talking about humanity um, in general and really the, the humanness behind us all and how we can be curious and we can learn from each other and letting it be more of that type of relationship, the human relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Love that. I think that's so important, Patricia, because here's the thing. So race is an uncomfortable subject matter for the vast majority of people. Right. And I think that people have to get comfortable with the idea that it's just uncomfortable. And it's likely that you're going to say the wrong thing at some point or do the wrong thing. But on the other side of the fence, I think that it's incumbent upon the people to understand that you know, sort of differentiate between the people that are trying to do better and be better. And so if you call someone in, it's still a way of sort of checking them, but you're not embarrassing someone. You're not making them feel crappy about the fact that they said the wrong thing. Because once people begin to be uh, ridiculed for something that they no longer hear anything you say after that, right? So it doesn't make sense for me to blast you for saying something improperly when I can see that you're trying to improve, right? Your understanding and your knowledge about around uh, race-based and social justice-based issues. 
So why not, you know, just sort of pull you aside and say, listen, this is the deal with this. So that you don't make that particular mistake again. And that is part of, I think, that's part of us, our ability to be empathetic with each other, right? Like I need you to understand this and you want to learn. So let's meet in the middle and get this done. Yes. And I'm curious how, you know, you working with as many uh, advertising uh, companies as you do, you know, how does your role kind of unfold in the workplace? And are you having these types of conversations? Yeah, I am. I do a lot. So what's really great about my role, which is not, you know, so a lot, there are a lot of these roles opening up these uh, leadership roles around diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, opening up in corporate entities around the country. One of the things that makes mine particularly special is that, which is not often the case, is I am part of the uh, executive leadership team. So that gives me access to all of the high-level people, right? I'm right at the table. And I get to say the things that are necessary. And I get to push in ways that are important and critical to the work. And I'm not, I'm in a position and in a situation where I am not sort of filtered, in a way that a lot of my counterparts are. Um, so I have these uh, conversations all the time with leadership of, of the various agencies. And I latch on, I tend to latch on to people who get it. And then we start to push the agenda through. So somebody who might be an EVP of you know some part of the agency, and they're trying to do the work with their team, I latch onto those people so that we can kind of put all the pieces, work to put the pieces of the puzzle together uh, to get the, you know, to, to create the change. That's wonderful. So would you find, do you find that you're doing a lot of awareness training, you know, making people more yeah. aware? Yeah. So I have a background. I have a background in teaching college. I did that for almost five years. And so in the role that I had just before this one, I was on the learning and organizational development team. So as COVID hit, we started to take the opportunity to create workshops that were educational opportunities, developmental opportunities, so that people could start to understand what was going on, right? Why were all these protests happening? Really to understand beyond what they were seeing on the nightly news. And that was so much fun for me to do because I was um, helping to educate my colleagues. Many at the time I knew and some I didn't know, right? And, th- and then because our, our agencies became started to become interconnected at that time, I started being able to educate people that I didn't know, but I was able to develop relationships with people. Yes. And that's very much what I was talking about before. So now I have a lot of relationships with people across agencies. And so they come to me now and we work together in partnership to figure things out, to figure how to move the agenda forward uh, in their respective agencies. One of the things that, uh, you know, my sort of um, strategy, my personal strategy uh, as it relates to this work is, is this idea of moving people through a journey, right? And the journey begins with introspection. And because that's where the awareness happens, that's where people kind of are able to step back and say, what am I doing? How am I participating? You know, how am I contributing? How do I want to contribute, right? And what do I have to do differently? So it's this idea of introspection. 
and and my coaching comes in really handy um, yes. when it comes to that. So it's yes. introspection and then change. And then what's really, really key here is the accountability piece, mm. right? So people need to be made accountable for the things that they do or don't do. And so if you're going to create real change, real organizational change at the end of the day, if people aren't fall, sort of falling in line, then there has to be accountability. Love that. And I love that you've opened up this dialogue. And it sounds like, you know, COVID-19 during this time has given you the opportunity to connect with people you might not have had you, you know, had not been working right. from home and having a totally right. different experience. Right. I totally, I definitely would have. My, my remit, my professional remit now is much broader because I can touch people all over the United States that fall in under the umbrella of, of, uh, of what we call the creative collective in ways that I would not have before COVID-19, right? I'd, it would have required that I'm flying all over and whatever, doing the thing. And maybe, it, maybe those things wouldn't have happened to the same extent. Now I pick up, you know, Microsoft Teams or get on a Zoom call and I'm talking to all kinds of people about, you know, what they need to create change in their agencies um, and then sort of what the expectation is. And then, you know, we sort of brainstorm to get because the really interesting thing about what I'm doing is that each of our agencies has a very distinct culture. So there's no one size fits all in terms of how uh, the change is created and implemented. And moreover, each agency is at a different spot, a, lo- a different uh, place along the way, at, along yes. the journey, right? So it's very ta- sort of tailored. The work is very tailored to each each agency. To each one, because yeah. the culture of every, I mean, having worked on many different teams, and yeah. it's amazing how different each team functions, like family, right? right? Yeah. Like every very- family, and we have agencies, some, you know, my, some agencies might have, I have an agency that has 200 people and I have an agency that has a thousand people. So just wow. by virtue of size, you know, the dynamics and the cultures are going to be very different. So, uh, and then one agency has one location or two locations. And then I have another agency that has like five locations, right? And even inside of an agency, the different locations have slightly different cultures. So it's, um, yeah, yeah. So interesting. And I, you know, I just love the through line, the through line that you have in your life, you know, from being a little girl in in the Bay Area, going to UC Berkeley, then going to Atlanta, studying Black history, Mm -hmm. heading to Chicago, I think right after that. And then, um, and then having, you know, having Perry and then diving right into all of this work as well. Yeah. The through line, I got to tell you, the through line is kind of cool when I think about it, right? Because here's what I would say. I didn't know I was going to end up in this position at this point in this role. Mm -hmm. But I will say that every decision, every role that I took along the way, there was always intention behind it. Because for me, it had to have some sort of social justice impact, the under whatever the role was always had that as a um, as a part of you know as as a part of w- what was happening so that's always been the thing that's moved me right and so that's why it was so important but i i had no idea it was going to all ladder up to this thing right yeah so, but and then it uses all your other skills from your coaching and uh, you know working teaching, with uh, my, yeah, yeah all of it it's like it's, everything yeah. in one package yeah it is and it's the timing really cool. is great. 
you the know, timing too. amazing. Yeah, the timing. I mean, I you know, and what I what I understand is because I'm a person who believes in the sort of the timing of the universe, right? Like this is the time. This is the time where I could fully step into this role and give it everything, uh, you know, that I have. So and knowing that everything that you've learned along the way has led yeah. up to this moment. Yes. yes. Incredible. It is Honestly, incredible. it really is. So Deirdre, I'd love to talk about your strengths and how it relates to your story. I'm going to use the via character strengths and I'm going to spot strengths. So I'm, I'm trained to spot strengths as I've been studying to be a strengths-based coach. And uh, one that really comes out quite vividly is bravery. As you spoke uh, in your story about how you always push the boundaries for social justice, uh, because the definition of bravery is not shrinking from strength, challenge, difficulty, or pain. It's speaking up for what is right and what is just. You're acting on convictions, even if unpopular. So all of this is coming from Dr. Nemec's book. It's Character Strengths Interventions. And this is the Via Strengths Assessment that you can take, and it's completely free. It's great knowledge. Uh, another strength I see is spirituality. It is linked to compassion, altruism, volunteerism, and philanthropy. Having coherent beliefs about the higher purpose and meaning in the universe. So looking at your story, altruism is right there. It's the work that you're doing for the greater good. Another one to look at is gratitude, being aware of and thankful for good things. Why I chose gratitude was because it's also linked to achievement, work satisfaction, and more specifically, work callings. So people who have gratitude in their t- as their top strengths will have uh, work callings. And I, I do believe that this through line that we talked about uh, with your story, you are doing exactly what you were supposed to be doing. And that 100% is a work calling. Then we look at love. I see love. It facilitates empathy, tolerance, and forgiveness. And when people have love in their top five, you really feel it, uh, number one, because it's, it's genuine. They're genuine people, and they, recipro- they reciprocate that warmth. So you'll feel a warmth from them. So once again, these are taken from the Via Strengths Assessment, and I do feel like this, this just sum, sums your story up and... and um, And definitely these character strengths are evident uh, in your story and in you. You just completely hit the nail on the head, the proverbial head with all of that. All of those things are my drivers. And if someone asked me to name them, those are the things that I would have said for sure. I, I really like the fact that you... I identified the bravery thing because what one thing that I recognize myself is that I am what other people might might sort of and and bravery sounds a little I don't know it sounds a little cheesy to me but what I would say is that I am I have always been in every capacity even as a little girl I'm all I've always been the person who 
speak up when other people were afraid to, I'd raise my hand or I'd say to somebody that's not right or whatever. Right. I don't, I guess that's bravery, but I just feel like for me, it's responsibility, right? I feel like I'm so like, I can't not do those things. Yes. Yes. And, you know, having altruistic thing you were talking about. Absolutely. It's, it all goes beyond who we are. It's, it goes beyond years. It transcends, right? Yes. Yes. So great. Making a difference, making that ripple effect that will continue. Yeah. Because here's, here's the thing that I would just sort of to back that up. I believe that the reason that we are here in this life or, you know, well, I'll, I'll stick with this life, um, is, is for the sole purpose. Um, and I say soul S O U L versus S O S O L E, right. The sole purpose of navigating the experiences that show up in our lives. Right. And I, and I, and, and I believe that, that we are supposed to do that with the least amount of friction and the greatest amount of love. And so that speaks to your, you know, your sort of insight um, around the the idea of love being part of the push, because I think that's, I think that that's, that's the point. Absolutely. That's so great. So I love a little action item for our listeners today. So speaking that this is Black History Month, you know, do you have an action item for everybody that we can we can implement? Oh, let's see. That's a great question. So um, I would say the action item, a very sort of general action item would yes. be pro uh, active in the way that you show up, right? And be intentional. Think about how, what kind of contribution you want to make in the world as specifically as it relates to the time that we're in, in this country with social justice, as it, you know, around social mm-hmm. justice issues. Um, and then pick a thing that's going to help you be better to show up better. So what does that look like? Does it mean picking up a history book and better understanding how, how racism came to be or the idea that racism is a, is a social construct or uh, a better understanding or, or creating relationship with someone uh, in your sphere who is someone of difference and learning about them, right? People always want to talk about themselves. And if you, if you approach someone in a really genuine way, wanting to understand and learn more about that person, the walls will come down and people mm-hmm. will open up because people want to engage. That's just how yes. we're made, right? Yes. Oh, I know. I was going to say systemic. You know, learn more about yes. systemic racism and how the kind of impact that that has on Black mm-hmm. and Brown people. So, so just take responsibility for for showing up, for changing the way that you show up in the world. Yes, yes, and you know, for me, even listening to this Public Enemy song, you know, on repeat. And, you know, and then really listening to the lyrics and under, trying to understand, you know, and the village voice making it number one, uh, you know, it's like clearly it had a lot of messages in there and uh, that really resonated during that that time period and um, and continues to resonate. So it's so good. And thinking about 80s trends, what were, you know, some of your favorite 80s trends? Let's go with uh, clothing to start. Clothing. So um, I loved the big shoulder pads because they made me feel super powerful. Yes. Um, and then I loved the trend of color. 
I love color so much. Um, and so that was one of, I re, you know, I used, and I was wearing all the colors, yellow and green and red. Red happens to be my absolute favorite color. Um, but I just, colors move me from the inside. So I just, yes. I love that so much. Love it. And today I'm wearing a uh, acid washed puffed sleeve <laughs> shirt. Now this is not vintage folks. Uh, I actually just bought this uh, on rails. Um, oh and I'm just saying, uh, learned it from an eighties podcast, I believe is trending right now that in my acid washed uh, shirt. So um, I mean, I was thinking, you know, how hard would it be to, for me to buy some 80s clothes to, uh, you know, throw it back? And I realize it's not difficult at all. You just got to go online and go shopping because it's all there, guys. It's all there. <laughs> and color. I love color. You know, so great. And uh, and the f- best part was wearing all of those colors all at the same time. All at the same it didn't time. Matter. <laughs> they didn't need to match. In fact, it was better if they didn't match, you know? Right. oh it's like a box of lucky charms all on uh, one person now tell us about what favorite shows you had um in the 80s i was like most of black america or much of black america i was drawn to both the cosby show and then the spin-off the different world because the different world gave us insight into historically black colleges and universities and uh that I actually ended up going to, uh, did my graduate work at an HBCU. And then the Cosbys were away. There was some level of, of pride in watching that show because it showed not only Black people, but just all people, all Americans, that, that Black people are not a monolith and that plenty of Black people thrive and do well and, you know, live in luxurious homes and have amazing careers, right? And I just, that put that on blast in a way that we hadn't really seen it to that point. Um, And they had whatever the same familial struggles that other people had um, between siblings, between, you know, parents and children and, and, and the love. And I just, I just, it, for me, there was so much pride in it because it showed everybody, um, you know, I think because we up to that point had often seen uh, black families uh, in peril and struggling and, you know, all the things. And so it was just a nice way to show, it was a great way to show that uh, there there are other ways. Black people live all the ways, just like everybody else. Yes. And I grew up because that show came out. I remember it came out on Thursdays and I watched it religiously. My dad loved it too. And the Cosby show and then a different world right after. And, uh, you know, honestly, I mean, I know, you know, there was some controversy around, but, you know, Bill Cosby, (laughs) you know, so we just, you know, that was exactly. So putting all of that aside, the honestly, I, you know, Mrs. Huxtable was a lawyer and, you know, and then Dr. Huxtable, and beautiful right? And yes. together and smart and all the things. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And they were, yeah, it was just such great shows. And I was really grateful that those shows came around during that time as well. Just, I feel like it, it really, like you said, you know, shed a light on diversity and, uh, in a very positive way. Yeah. And the realities of Black life in other ways than we were typically accustomed to seeing. So, yeah. Yes, 100%. Well, I am 
so grateful to have you here. And I actually would love to have you on again because um, I, you have so much knowledge and um, like trust in the workplace. Like I want to talk about that. And uh, so if you could ever come on again, dear Joe, so we can talk about that. I'd love to have you back. And um, I would love it, Patricia. I could talk about this stuff. I'm all day because this is my, yes. I feel like this is my life's work. You know, as I mentioned, I've done these types of things in like in, in different levels, a different point in my life, but it's, it's the thing that just, it propels me forward. It's, I feel like yeah. it's my responsibility. So yes. Well, I'm always happy to talk about this great. stuff. Everybody wants to engage. <laughs> I do. Like you are a wealth of knowledge and I so appreciate you uh, being with us today. Thank you so much for listening. We want to hear from you. First of all, tell us how these totally rad stories have inspired you. If you have a story with an 80 song inspiration, we want to hear it. You think this podcast is like totally tubular? Well, we would love your review. Stay connected with us on Podopolo and download the app today. Visit me at www.patriciafreiberg.com. Thank you, and we look forward to a double boost of inspiration next Motivational Music Monday.